I want to do something a little different today, and uh, maybe thought we could try this. Um, just go ahead and close your eyes, okay? Not something we do very often, but cl- close your eyes. And I want you to imagine what heaven looks like. So, are there clouds? Is it land? Does it look like a Narnia sort of heaven? If you've read those books, does it look like this Tolkien, like Shire kind of place? Um, is it urban? Is it rural? Is it suburban like Shore Pump? Um, what's it look? And now I want you to think about the people in heaven. Um, uh, who's there? Are there people you know and love? What's it like hanging out with them? Are there people that aren't there? Because maybe you think, oh, it's, it'd be heaven if this person wasn't there or, or someone, you know, my enemy or something like that. Who's, who's there? Who's not there? Open your eyes. It's not something we think about a lot, right? It's not something we really dial into too much of like, okay, eventually this life's going to end and there'll be something. And if there's a heaven... What's that going to be like? Most Americans believe there's a heaven, there's some sort of afterlife. We just diverge greatly on the details of what will be there and what that's going to look like and feel like and, and, and what our experience of that will be. My guess is not many of you thought of heaven like a, a dinner table or like a, a, a banquet table or anything like that. You probably didn't think of that. But that's really, if you're going to look at what the Bible says about heaven... That's the way it's described. In, in the book of Revelation, it's described as this wedding feast. So Jesus is, in, in the end times, Jesus is the groom, and we who are his followers are called the bride of Christ. And so the way heaven is described is this, this epic feast where people are going to sit down and celebrate the marriage, celebrate the relationship between us and God. And I've been to some pretty fantastic weddings, one of the great things about my job, and had some pretty great meals at weddings, and uh, and so I'm when they say mar- uh, when they say heaven's like this big meal, I'm like that sounds really fun. Like that would be great. So what I thought I would do is I borrowed this idea from a friend. I thought I would just go ahead and talk about heaven in terms of uh, this feast, and and talk about you know who's going to be there, and 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 hopefully there's a lot of questions we have about heaven. Hopefully by by talking about it this way, I'll be able to hit some of your questions and kind of answer them along the way. So let me talk about who are at the different seats at the table in heaven. This first seat is for my grandfather Lionel. Lionel um, was a preacher, and um, he used to preach in Dublin or um, Belfast and eventually London. And he actually was not only a preacher, but he was a church planter. And he started a church in a movie theater in London in 1922. It's pretty weird, right? Uh, I didn't know that about my grandfather. I didn't know who he was at all because he died in 1945. We have a picture of him put up on the screen. He's the one glowing. Uh, that's like a picture of like his Sunday school class or like a missionary society from the 19-teens or something. But that's my grandfather, Lionel, and he started this church, and he would meet in this old movie theater, and they, uh, he would preach there, and he would do like a week-long revival, and 2,500 people a night would come out and hear him preach. He was a very good speaker, and in fact, he was well-known for a sense of humor. People would come in to hear him preach, and he was, apparently he was very funny. Um, and, and, and so I didn't know any of this until a few years ago, I would find this out about my grandfather, um, but one thing I do know about my grandfather is he was removed from ministry in 1927. He was, um, and he had a moral failure. 
and I've never been able to find in writing exactly what that was. I have a guess, though. That's about the time he married my grandmother, and my grandmother was 18, and he was about 40. So maybe Grandfather Lionel dated girls in the youth group, and that was a bad thing even back then. Um, that's my guess of what, what the moral failure was. Um, so then they went on and they had my uncle and my aunt and then my dad. And then he died when my dad was nine. My dad, so basically from age nine on, grew up without a dad. And my dad was an atheist. And then somehow in middle school, I became a Christian. And so um, I share my grandfather's faith, but not my, my dad's. And I believe that my grandfather Lionel will be in heaven. Um, from what I've read, from what I've been able to gather from articles, he's written children's books. I've read those as well. My grandfather loved the Lord. He was, he was a broken man. He was not perfect, and that is true for every single one of us in this room. And he had some issues, for sure. But I believe, and I'm looking forward to sitting down at a meal where I sit down with my grandfather and ask him all sorts of, of questions. He, I believe he'll be in heaven not because he was perfect, but because he was forgiven by God for his sins, and he was in a relationship with God. This brings up a question we might have about heaven. Will we have memories of our relationships on earth. So if we get to heaven, will we remember the people that we knew in, on earth or have me- any memory of what our relationships were like on earth? A lot of people will say no, and they'll point to Isaiah 65, verse 17. Let me read it to you. Isaiah, it says this, For behold, God is saying, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. So it sounds like in heaven, when you get to this new heavens, new earth, and God's created this new thing, you're not going to remember any of this stuff in the past. They're going to, like, men in black, neuralize you, and you just get zap, and it's just all gone. You don't remember any of it anymore. But if you actually go back and read the verse before that and see some context, it says this in verse 16, because the former troubles are forgotten and are hidden from my eyes. You see, I think what happens in heaven is that God, just as he redeems us, and makes us new and right, he also redeems our memories. And he will forget, and we will forget, the the troubling ones, the painful ones, the sorrowful memories. The bad ones will be gone, but we will remember the good things about our life, and including the relationships that we had here on earth. Another question, will we retain our earthly identity when we're in heaven? Like, will I recognize my granddad? I didn't meet him, but maybe from pictures, like, will I say, oh, that's my granddad. Oh, we, we, have, we still have this relationship. I know who he is. Some people say, no, you're not going to re- retain earthly identity when you're in heaven because you're going to be like this disembodied spirit. That's a cool idea, a spirit sort of floating or whatever, but the New Testament seems to make it clear that there's a physical reality to you. You're going to have this new body, similar to what you have now, but different. There'll be some differences. And, um, and you see that in Jesus. When Jesus came back from the dead, he looked similar, and, and people recognized him. In fact, the only instance you see of people not knowing who he was, not understanding his earthly identity, is in Luke chapter 24. The day he resurrected, he appeared to some people on, the, on this road out of Jerusalem towards the city of Emmaus. And listen to what it says while they were walking along. It says, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So he starts walking with these people along the road. It says, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. It's not that Jesus is unrecognizable or that any of us will be unrecognizable in our new resurrected bodies. It's just in this situation, they were supernaturally kept from recognizing who he was for a particular purpose at that time. So I believe we keep our earthly identity, and we will, we will be who we are um, with a new body, but we will, we will be who we are when we are in heaven. 
So that's the first seat. Let me tell you about who, who I think is at the second seat here in, in heaven. This is Moses. Moses, you may have heard of that guy. He's sitting here. I really admire Moses. I think he was an incredible leader, and I think he had an incredible burden he had to carry of, of leading the Israelites, leading millions of people. Uh, he was a powerful, courageous leader. He was flawed. He, he blew it on several occasions. He, he had murdered someone. Like, he, 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 he had a past. He had a story. But he was an incredible dude. And I look forward to being in heaven one day and talking to Moses and, like, picking his brain. You know, like, what was it like when God appeared to you in a burning bush? Like, tell me what that experience was like. What was it like to see God face to face, to go up on that mountain and get the, the commandments from God? What was it like to stand on the edge of the Red Sea and see the water roll up like a scroll? Like, tell me about that experience. I have so many questions I want to ask Moses when we get to heaven. In fact, you may have someone else. That there, there's, there's a lot of people in the Bible that I'd like to talk to and ask them. Like Mary, Jesus' mother. Don't you just have a million questions about what it's like to raise Jesus? Did he sleep through the night? Did he ever like not like your soup? And did you start thinking, well, maybe it's the problem with my soup, not my little bratty child, where you're like, well, the son of God does not like my soup. Like, uh, that must be my fault. You know, or like, did, was there all, what, did you have issues of like, how am I going to raise this kid? Because after all, he's God. And did, did he ever pull that card on you when, when he was a teenager? You know, like so many questions you want to ask Mary of what that experience was like. Were you, were you excited or scared when you found out you were having him? Like, what, what, what was that whole thing like? Or maybe David, David, I want to ask David, hey, what was it like to show up at a battlefront just delivering food to your brothers, and then they like, hey, why don't you go out there and fight, and you fight Goliath, this, this giant guy. Tell me about that battle. I've read the account, but it doesn't give enough details. Like, tell me what it, give me the smells, the taste, like, what was it like to be there in that moment? Or maybe Jacob, ask Jacob, hey, you wrestled with God, right? So what's that like? What's it like to wrestle with God, like literally wrestle, like, did, and does God, like, get up on the ropes and, like, Jimmy Superfly snooker you? Does he, like, does he do the rock thing with you with the eyebrow? Like, can God do that? Like, what is it like to wrestle God? Man, so many questions. And, and maybe you have people you'd like to sit down with, too. In fact, Matthew, the book of Matthew tells us that we will sit at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and we will sit down with these people, and maybe we'll get to ask all those questions. And maybe it's not someone in the Bible. Maybe there's just some people in history that you'd love to sit down with. Wouldn't it be great to sit down over a pint with C.S. Lewis and J.R. Tolkien and ask them about the, world, the worlds that they created and, and what that was like and their experience of God? Wouldn't it be great to sit down with Wil William Wilberforce and ask him what he went through to help defeat slavery in the British Isles? Wouldn't it be great to sit down with these people? Wouldn't it be great to go for a run in the morning with Eric Little, the, the runner from Chariots of Fire? who was a runner and then a missionary. Cool to sit down with Arthur Guinness, huge missionary family, the Guinness family. You think of them as beer. They were missionaries. That's really their family. Wouldn't it be cool to ask them why they did what they did, how, they, how that all went? And so many people in history I'd love to, to sit down with at the table um, and, and, and connect with them. Well, here's a question, though. How will we know who they are? Like, I may have seen a picture of my grandfather, I may have seen a picture of Eric Little, but how will I know when I get to heaven that's who these people are? Well, Mark chapter 9 records a very interesting, uh, it's a very interesting account. Jesus is with his closest disciples, Peter, James, John, and they, and they uh, have this vision, and up, appearing in front of them are Moses and Elijah. Now, Moses and Elijah had been off the earth for centuries by the time Jesus and his disciples are there. So Jesus and disciples are there, now there's Moses and Elijah, and they recognize Moses and Elijah. 
Like, there's no scene, at least in the account there, there's no scene where Jesus says, Peter, meet Moses. Moses, meet Peter. And I'm like, how do they know who they are? They've never met them. Are they wearing name tags? <laughs> Is it like being at the company picnic? Like, hi, I'm Jim. I work in IT. Like, nice to meet you. You know, like, no, they just know. There's, they, 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 they see each other, and there's a sense of identity there. It reminds me of 1 Corinthians 13. This 1 Corinthians 13 is always used in weddings. Love is patient, love is kind. You've probably heard that. But if you go further down in the chapter, listen to what it says in verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So there comes a time in heaven where we're going to know people, and we are going to be fully known, um, and and we'll understand it. We're we're not going to have to be in heaven doing that like, uh what's your name again? Or like, hey, buddy. Hey, you. Good to see you. You know, like, we won't have any sort of awkward, we're going we're gonna to know and be fully known in heaven. Seat number three, right here, is for my buddy Richie Merritt. Richie and I uh, were part of a church together in Virginia Beach back in the early 2000s. And I was on staff there. I was like 25 years old. Richie was maybe 40 at that time. And uh, Richie's a, a, a cool dude. Richie was a Philly boy, and um, he had been a, like a weightlifter, like big, real serious in it. And so he's just a big, tough dude with like an edge, you know. And I'm like this quasi-British Florida boy, and not from like the rough part of Florida or whatever. So, uh, you know, I'm a Tampa Bay fan. He's an Eagles fan. We go back and forth on this stuff, you know. And so, but Richie was part of our small groups and was a small group coach for us, and I would work with him in that. Well, in, it was Easter Sunday of 2001, I think. It was 2001. Uh, I come to church that morning all excited because it's Easter, and, and the senior pastor pulls me aside and says, hey, Richie's daughter, Megan, died last night in a car accident. She was 16 years old. And I watched my brother Richie and his wife Karen walk through in, intense pain of losing their child. And we went to the funerals, probably about a thousand people there, and it was, it was a powerful celebration of life. Um, and I saw the wounds that Richie had to carry with him. And, and, and Richie actually left his career and went on into ministry. And he planted a church, he became a church planter, and planted a church in Allentown, Pennsylvania, his hometown. And uh, doing great things up there, that church is still going strong. Richie got a diagnosis of cancer himself in 2012. By the time they found out about it, it was stage four. It was in his lungs and his brain. He did every chemo, radiation, all the treatment that he could. And he's, like I said, he's a big, tough dude. He fought it hard. And eventually, Richie died in December. I got the, the call right around Thanksgiving weekend. He died in December of 2013. And I miss my brother. I miss that guy. He was a good dude. And he wasn't perfect like none of us are. But his heart was following after the Lord, and he was trying to help other people follow after the Lord. And I look forward to sitting at this table with him someday and just talking about old times, him and his daughter, and, and, and let's, just, let's just talk it through and, and celebrate being in God's presence with, with one another. Um, and maybe you have people like that in your life too. But it also makes you think, well, what about people that maybe, what if there's people like not going to be in heaven? Like... How am I going to enjoy heaven if some people that I love aren't there? And that's tough. There's not an easy answer to that. If you're not reunited with someone in heaven, you're not going to be reunited with them sometime later on. 
Now, some people think that in heaven we're going to have no knowledge of hell. We're not going to understand that there's anything else so that we're not going to worry about that. But Scripture doesn't actually teach that. It just teaches that there's no more pain and there's no more sorrow when we're in heaven. There's no crying or sadness. I think what's going to happen is that in in heaven, for the first time, we will really understand and appreciate the depth of love that God has for us and for humanity. And we will see God's mercy and we will see God's justice and we will see how God really pursued people. And even people that we knew and loved who did not choose to follow after God, we will see the lengths God God went to to reach those people and to bring them into his family. And we will understand his justice and we will understand his amazing grace. And maybe instead of being disillusioned about who is not in heaven with us, we will be overwhelmed by who is in heaven with us. There's an analogy, maybe a way of thinking about it. Let's say you're an el- your kid, you go through elementary school, and let's say you love McDonald's hamburgers. They're great, right? Love them hamburgers. I would say you love the fries, but they change those. They're not as good anymore. So you love the hamburgers, and you're like, mm, McDonald's hamburgers is the best. And your dad says, hey, son, I want to take you out for your birthday, middle school. I want to take you out for your birthday. We're going to go get some great food. And you, and you go, oh, are we getting hamburgers? This is the best, McDonald's hamburgers. And he's like, no, we're not going to do that. And you're sitting there wondering how dinner with your dad's going to be any good if there aren't McDonald's hamburgers involved. And he says, I'm going to take you somewhere else. And he takes you to a place called Ruth's Chris. And he says, hey, uh, we're, I want you to order off the menu here. And you open up the menu and you look, and there's no hamburgers. And, and you're like, this can't be a good dinner. Like, what's the deal? And dad's like, I'll take care of it. I want you to order a filet. I'm going to get you a filet. And so they bring out a filet, and it's like sizzling. There's juices coming down the side. If you're a vegetarian, you're all grossed out right now on this whole illustration. I'm sorry. Just roll with me for a minute on this. So they bring you a filet, and you're sitting there thinking, like, where's the lettuce and tomato? Where's the bun? Where's the ketchup and mayo and the mustard? Why? This, there's no way. And you take a bite of the filet, and suddenly you forget all about McDonald's hamburgers. <laughs> Somehow... This thing is so much greater that you just don't remember the other thing or, or the perspective on it has changed. And I wonder if it's going to be like that in heaven. We have to trust that our Heavenly Father knows us and loves us and He wants good for us and that He's going to take care of it. Um, and, and all of our skepticism about who's there and who's not there, all of that skepticism will be turned to joy when we are with God in heaven. So I want to talk to you about this idea. Um, if you notice, there's a dog bowl up here. Notice it's not a cat bowl. <laughs> I'm just saying. Just kidding. It's just a joke. You don't have to email me about that later. <laughs> just a joke. Um, one of the questions that, actually it's the most common question children ask about heaven is, will there be animals in heaven? That's an interesting question, and actually there's some gray area about that in the Scripture. On the one hand, Scripture teaches us that um, there will be horses in heaven. You see that in Revelation 6 and Revelation 19, so we know there's horses. If you're horse lovers, that's great. Um, Isaiah 11 and 2 Kings talks about more animals being in heaven. Um, So, yeah, I would say there's going to be animals in heaven. But let's ask the question you're really asking. Will your animal be in heaven? Because it won't be heaven if my pet's not there, right? And I realize in saying this, I am on some dangerous ground right now. Because there are people that are passionate about their pups. And I get it. Dogs are, cats, animals are great. Like having pets can be awesome. I got a couple thoughts on that. Number one is pets don't have souls. 
Heaven is for redeemed souls. We are souls that have a body. Pets don't have souls. I know they're soulful. I, I understand that, but they don't actually have souls. So in God and bringing us people to heaven, that doesn't necessitate that he brings your pet to heaven because your pet doesn't have a soul. Um, and that's, that's hard to understand, but like pets don't sin. I know your dog, he was a very bad boy when he pooped on your carpet, but that doesn't mean literally he sinned and he's actually bad and in need of God's redemption in the same way people are, okay? So pets don't have souls, so that, that would be an argument for, well, maybe your pet is not in heaven. But here's a thought, because it is a gray area. Why couldn't God put your pet in heaven? I mean, if he's going to make it awesome and it's going to be beyond your wildest dreams, why not bring your puppy back? Why not? In fact, Johnny Erickson Tata, a writer, she wrote a book about heaven. And listen to what she says about this. She said, if God brings our pets back to life, it wouldn't surprise me. It would be just like him. It would be totally in keeping with his generous character, exorbitant, excessive, extravagant, and grace after grace. Of all the dazzling discoveries and ecstatic pleasures heaven will hold for us, the potential of seeing scrappy would be pure whimsy, utterly, joyfully, surprisingly superfluous. Heaven is going to be a place that will refract and reflect in as many ways as possible the goodness and joy of our great God who delights in lavishing love on his children. So maybe your pet will be in heaven. In fact, I think there's nothing wrong with praying for that to be the case. When you have kids and the dog dies or whatever, and you say, oh, let's pray that God will take our dog into heaven or whatever. I, I think that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I do want to say this, though. Just keep perspective on that. God's heart is for people, and we need to be about his business. God loves people. We need to love people. And the truth is, some people care more about their pets than they care about their neighbor who doesn't know Jesus and is going to be separated from him for eternity. Some people give, spend more money on their pet than they do on God's mission for saving lost souls. So let's be about God's business. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. God's heart is loving people, and our heart needs to be about that also. The next chair I want to tell you about is this high chair right here. And this high chair is for a little girl named Eden Carroll. I'll put a picture of her up on the screen. Eden uh, is, was born to Aaron and Ashley Carroll here at Area 10. Um, Aaron and Ashley have been part of the church for eight years probably now. And Eden was born last Sunday afternoon. They came here. We did a sermon last Sunday morning called What Happens When You Die? And then they went to the hospital to deliver Eden. And Eden was born mid-Sunday afternoon. And then Eden died uh, 23 hours and 59 minutes later on Monday afternoon. Now, Aaron and Ashley thought that that might be the case. They had received a diagnosis at 18 weeks of, of trisomy 18, and if you know that, you know that babies uh, often don't even go full term, or if they do, they often don't live long after birth. But they felt like the most faithful thing to do was to just carry the baby to term and see what happens and just try to honor God through the whole thing. And they, they have walked through a whole lot of pain this week, and those of us who know them and love them have been mourning and grieving with them. And I'm proud of this church and their small group and different people who have come around them and loved them and supported them and done everything that we can to help make it easier for them. But the reality is it's not easy and it's not good and it's not right and, it, and it's horrible. And we did a, a funeral service yesterday. 
And I think about them, and I, I think of other people in here who are suffering miscarriages, had, uh, who's, had a, who's lost a child, maybe experienced an abortion. Like, other people in here have gone through painful stuff when it comes to children. And what happens to those kids? What happens to those babies? I believe they're in, in heaven with God now. I, I believe that they're in eternity with their heavenly Father. The one question that you might want to think about, though, with that is, like, what age are children then? If children die, what age are they in heaven? That's an interesting question. The church in the Middle Ages used to give a, an exact answer to that question. They said, when we die in heaven, we're 30 years old. Isn't that interesting? We would, like, just, you're automatically 30 when you get to heaven. I don't even know why 30. Maybe because at 30, like, your cognitive development has gone far enough that you're not doing the stupid things you did when you were 20. But, like, your body hasn't started breaking yet. So maybe 30's like peak. Like, those of you who are around 30, this may be the best it gets, guys. <laughs> that might be the best you'll ever be. <laughs> so enjoy it, I hope. Uh, but we don't know how old we're going to be when we're in heaven. C.S. Lewis and others would argue that we're out of time and we're sort of ageless when we're in, in heaven. Um, but I think Randy Alcorn has a really great idea on this, especially when it comes to parents who have lost children. Randy Alcorn wrote a book called Heaven. I think we put it in the notes today. You can look on the app, the notes for this sermon. You can look at that book. We'll, we'll post it later as well um, online. His book on heaven answers all these questions I'm answering and many, many more. And it's thick and it's involved and he's done his research. And so uh, good stuff there if you want to dig into this more. But listen to what he says about children dying. He says, in Isaiah 11, it's speaking of the new earth as does its parallel passage in Isaiah 65, who are the infants and young children playing with the animals? Is it possible that children, after they're resurrected on the new earth, will be at the same level of development as when they died? If so, these children would presumably be allowed to grow up on the new earth, a childhood that would be enviable, to say the least. Believing parents, then, would presumably be able to see their children grow up and likely have a major role in their lives as they do so. Although it's not directly stated, and I'm speculating, it's possible that parents whose hearts were broken through the death of their children will not only be reunited with them, but will also experience the joy of seeing them grow up in a perfect world. Now, there's speculation in there, for sure. But I think it's a really interesting idea that we will be reunited with those children and even get to see them grow up in a perfect world. Jonathan Edwards, the Puritan preacher, says it this way, heaven will be full of children even if we all look like adults. What we love about children is their innocence, their joy, their exuberance, their curiosity, their laughter, and we will always be childlike, and, and we will all be childlike in these ways. So what age will kids be when they're in heaven? I don't know for sure, but I think there's some really intriguing possibilities here that we will see them grow up um, when we're reunited with them. And then the final question I want to answer today is, uh, who goes to heaven? Jesus talks about this, Mark chapter 16, listen to what he said. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And then Paul, picking up a similar theme in Ephesians chapter 2, says this, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Who goes to heaven? Anyone who says, Jesus, help me. Anyone who reaches out and desires to be in a relationship and follow after him. So this last chair, this chair is for you. 
if you don't know Jesus, if you've not given your life to him, if you've not been baptized into him, we can go to the river and baptize you. We can go to a hot tub and baptize you. We can, do, we can find a spot. We can, if you're saying, I want to follow after Jesus and you've not done that, do it today. And then this chair becomes your chair. And that you sit at this table as well and celebrate. And it's not going to be because of how great you are. It's not because of all the good things that you've done. I don't care how much you've volunteered. I don't know how much, care how much you've recycled or how you give, you know, you work with the PTA. Like, that's not going to matter. The reason you're going to be saved is by God's grace because he's made a way for you and he's made a way for me. The grace that saves my grandfather, Lionel, the grace that saves a murderer, the grace that saves the person who did that thing, whatever that thing is, is the same grace that's available to you and I. And if we're going to be here at this table, we're here because God is good. He's really good, and he loves us, and he made a way for us, and we followed after him, and we, and we accepted his, his gift, the gift of God. We accepted his, his grace. But if you have given your life to Christ, and you already have this seat at the table, let me challenge you with these words. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What is Paul saying there? He says, don't look at people just like they're flesh and blood. Don't judge according to that. Look at people like they truly are. People are souls with an eternal destiny. People are going to spend an eternity somewhere and think long-term, big picture with people that you know and love. And then he says, be ministers of reconciliation. Be ambassadors. Here's the deal. Jesus saves people, but he does it through you. Your role, my role, is to be ambassadors for Christ. To speak up and warn people or challenge people or, or point people to the goodness of heaven and say, this is good. This is going to be so good. And I want you to get in on that and get some of that because it's going to be amazing. That's that's what we're called to do. I mean, if, if all Christianity is is go to heaven when you die, then why don't you just go there as soon as you're baptized and as soon as you give your life to Christ? Like, give your life to Christ and poof, you're gone. Because God has a mission for you here and now. He's calling you and I to be his hands and feet, to be ambassadors, to speak up, to risk to speak up and tell a friend about God or just even to invite a friend to church and say, hey, come hear about this. Come learn about this. This has made a difference in my life and I think it can make a difference for you. We have a mission here. Now, there's a big responsibility that comes with that, but it's also a big opportunity. And it's possible you'll be sitting at the table in heaven one day and there's gonna be someone across the table and they're gonna say to you, thank you for telling me. Thank you for inviting me to be here. All glory goes to God. He saves. But God is going to use you to reach other people. So I'm looking forward to the feast one day. And I'm looking forward to sitting at that table with all of you. And friends and your extended friends and family and famous people. And just all, like I'm looking forward to the whole big party. It's going to be an incredible feast. I can't wait. But I'm going to make it my goal and 
and I pray you make it your goal. Let's bring as many people with us as we can. You may have a seat at the table, but make room for, for more. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the ministry of reconciliation, how you have asked us to be your ambassadors. And God, we take that responsibility serious, that we will speak up and tell people of the goodness of God and the wonders of heaven um, and, and, and help bring hope in a hopeless world where things are broken and people are broken and there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of heartache. Um, God, we want to be the people of hope who grieve, um, but not grieving like we have no hope. We will be the people who grieve with hope, as, as Paul tells us. God, I look forward to the day where I sit at this table with my grandfather and with Richie and with baby Eden, and uh, I'm excited to, to sit down and, and, and be in your presence and enjoy the goodness and the fullness of, of, of all that you had designed and, and prepared for us. Thank you, Lord, for making a way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.